I love the story that's told about an elderly old man who never got to see his children because they were grown. And so um, uh, just a few days before Thanksgiving, he picked up the phone. He called his, uh, he called his, uh, his son who lived in New York. And he said, uh, son, I hate to ruin your day, but I want you to know that your mother and I are getting a divorce. 45 years of misery is enough. And uh, we can't really stand each other, and so we're, we're, we're parting ways. So you pick up the phone, call your sister, and uh, you let her know. The son picked up the phone, he called his sister in Chicago, and, and she answered and said, what? Like, heck, they're getting a divorce. Wait just a minute. She called her dad and said, Dad, what do you think you're doing? He said, I don't want to talk about it. I just wanted you to know. She said, you don't do anything. We're getting flights tomorrow, and we'll be there. Before we get there, you don't do a single thing. And he hung up the phone, and with that, he turned to his wife with a smile, and he said, all right, sweetie, they're coming home for Thanksgiving, and they're paying their own way. <laughs> so Thanksgiving week is here. It snuck up on us. And uh, this year at Woodmont, we have a lot to be thankful for. This past week, we exceeded our goal in our capital campaign of $8 million. We reached that and climbed above it, which we are very thankful for. Uh, but not, not just that, we had about 350 families uh, participate in that campaign, which is really exciting. And, 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 and uh, we're, we're going to be excited in the spring to break ground uh, on this new uh, addition. I have a tradition every year in November, and that is to read and study Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, Philippians has always been one of my favorite epistles. It's one of my favorite books in the, in the Bible. It's been referred to uh, by commentators before as the epistle of joy, uh, the epistle of excellent things. Uh, throughout many stages of, of life, I found myself returning to the wisdom of this book time and time again. It's a very short letter. It's only four chapters long. You could read it between now and Thursday if you, if you wanted to. You could read it in one setting. But, but when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians around 63 or 64 AD, he was in prison in Rome. He had no idea what was going to happen. He didn't know if he was going to live or if he was going to be executed. Uh, he had been forced to leave Philippi after a storm of persecution, and the Philippian church inherited much of that persecution, but he writes to them telling them to stay strong in the faith and to press forward. And Paul seemed to have formed a very special bond with the Philippian church, and that was a bond that was closer and more intimate than many of his other uh, relationships with those early communities. So that's why many people consider this to be his best letter, perhaps his most heartfelt and sincere letter. But he's sitting in prison in Rome, wondering if he's going to be put to death. If anybody had a reason to be pessimistic, if anybody had a reason to despair, if anybody had a reason to be full of doom and gloom, it was Paul. But yet here's what he writes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I would say that still today, every single one of us is looking for that peace that only God can bring into our lives 
And living life without that peace can be very, very difficult. Paul goes on to say this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. Think about these things. I don't know where you happen to find yourself this Thanksgiving week. I don't know if you are up or if you are down. I don't know if you are happy or if you are sad, if you're grieving or if you're joyful. I don't know if life has been treating you well or or not recently. We've had a lot of loss in this church family recently. This Wednesday, I'm going to do my sixth funeral in just over a month. That's a lot. So that means that there's a lot of people that are hurting, a lot of people that are grieving at this time of year. But whatever your mindset might be right now, I want you to listen, really listen to the words of Paul that he writes to the Philippians. And I'm going to give you three words to think about this Thanksgiving week leading up to Thursday and beyond. The first word is this, peace. Paul says, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anybody need peace in their lives this Thanksgiving? Have you tried prayer? Have you tried taking the time to pray to God? And searching for that peace that passes understanding and allow it to guard your hearts. You know, we live in a fast-paced world. We live in a world where speed and being busy is admired. It's even celebrated. The busier you are, the more important you must be. And you know what's wrong with that? Busyness is not conducive to growth in the spiritual life. It's just not. I learned this the hard way far too often. If you are busy all the time, if you are stressed all the time, then chances are you're not taking care of yourself. You're anxious, you're on edge. I heard Rick Warren say in a sermon, we spend the first half of our lives sacrificing our health for money, and then we spend the second half of our lives spending large amounts of money trying to get our health back. Isn't that true? Being busy all the time, packing too much into our schedules, does not lead us to the peace that Paul is writing about here. And you know what often drives our busyness? Our anxiety. Our anxiety keeps us from finding peace. Because we are afraid to slow down and to just be still. We are afraid to search our own hearts because we're afraid of what we might find. Remember what Scott Stossel says in his book called My Age of Anxiety? He says, to some people I may seem calm, but if you could peer beneath the surface, you would see that I'm like a little duck. I'm paddling, I'm paddling, I'm paddling. And when we live our lives like this, 
we become exhausted. We wear ourselves out. The second word I have for you this week is priorities. What does Paul say? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. In other words, focus on the good things in life. Spend time doing the things that matter. Surround yourself with people who lift you up and make you better. You don't need to feel obligated to hang out with people who pull you down. Life's too short. Being cynical and negative is too easy. And it's not healthy. Anybody can point out the problems in this world because there's lots of them. But it takes a special person to identify what is good and to lift it up. And when it comes to Thanksgiving, why not focus on the many things that we do have rather than the things that we don't have? You know, social media has really done a number on our culture. I'm not a fan, even though I'm on it. It's helped make everybody in our culture aware of what everybody else has, what everybody else is doing. And not only is it addictive, but it leads to envy and jealousy and resentment. And these things are not healthy. It's much healthier to name your blessings, to acknowledge them, and to thank God for them. A few Thanksgivings ago, I made a list of the blessings in my life. In fact, I, I try to do it every year. And so my list was probably a lot like yours. It included my, my family, uh, my wife, uh, my, my kids, my parents, my brothers and my sisters, uh, this church, its members, its staff, uh, my health, <laughs> relative health, uh, my friends, my home. The list was long. But I also made a list of the reasons why I sometimes fail to be grateful. And this list was actually much more eye-opening. What, what did I write down there? The fast pace of life. The fact that we're so busy. We're so busy and we're accomplishing less. A sense of entitlement. You know, many of us have come to expect and feel entitled to the good life. Enough is never enough, and we forget that there are people all over the world who would only dream of having some of the things that we call problems. And this sense of entitlement keeps us from being thankful. What else did I write? Unrealistic expectations. Some people are never thankful because they always feel like their life is lacking something. Uh, Armand Nicolai is a psychiatrist at Harvard. He wrote this, this great essay called Hope in a Secular Age. And I come back to this quote so much. He said, the cause of despondency in many today is an awareness of a gap between what they think they ought to be and what they feel that they are. There is a discrepancy between an ideal that they hold for themselves and an acute awareness of how far short they fall from that ideal. You see, lots of people are not thankful because they have an unrealistic expectation for their life and they never seem to measure up to it. Or maybe their parents have an unrealistic expectation for their life and they never seem to measure up to it. 
But probably the reason that I think most of us fail to be grateful on a regular basis is one word. It's fear. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of what, what might or could happen. Simply put, many people in our culture live lives that are full of anxiety and full of fear. And when you're living a life that's full of anxiety and full of fear, it's really, really hard to be grateful. But it's necessary. It's been proven that if you spend time and energy acknowledging your blessings in life and naming them, then that's time and energy that you cannot put into worrying. It's been proven. The third and final word that I'll leave you with this morning is contentment. If we move ahead in this passage to verse 11, Paul says, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. And then we get that famous verse of Scripture that we see all over the place. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, Paul here has identified one of the key secrets to life. Being content with whatever we have. It doesn't mean that we stop working hard to move forward, but we quit wishing that we had more and we start appreciating what is already in our lives. It's the everyday things for which we should be grateful. It's the things that we often overlook. I mean, think about these questions. If you're not grateful now, then what makes you think that having more will make you grateful? If you're not generous now, what makes you think that having more will make you generous? If you're not at peace now, what makes you think that having more will bring you peace? It won't. I'll close with a story. I usually tell this story about once a year because it's worth it. A lot of you have heard it, so pretend like you haven't. It's a story about the American businessman who used to go to Mexico on vacation every year. And um, he was a Wall Street guy, needed to get away, so he'd take two weeks. He'd go down to this coastal village in Mexico with his family. And one day, standing on the dock early afternoon, and he noticed this small fishing boat that was coming back in early. And he was kind of perplexed by it. And so he, he, uh, he walked down, and curiosity overcame him. And he, and he went and he saw the fisherman. He said, well, well, uh, What's going on? He said, I just caught a few fish. He said, well, well how many fish did you catch? He said, I did five large yellowfin tuna. Well, why didn't you stay out there longer and, and, and fish more? And he said, well, I've got plenty of fish for me and for my, my family's needs. He said, but it's, it's barely lunchtime. What do you do the rest of the day? And the, the guy said, well, I, I like to sleep in late. When I wake up, I fish a little bit, mostly for the pleasure of fishing. In the afternoon, I play with my children. I, I take a siesta with my wife, and uh, in the evenings, I have dinner with my family. Then I go into town and drink wine and play guitar with my amigos. An American laughed at this guy because he, he thought his daily schedule was a joke, and he said, you know what, buddy? You're in luck because I've got an MBA from Harvard. I work on Wall Street, and uh, I'm going to help you out. He said, help me out? He said, yeah. Here's what you should do. You should fish late into the day so you can catch more fish and then buy a bigger boat. 
And with a bigger boat, you can catch even more fish and make even more money. And then you can buy a second boat and get somebody else to come and work for you. Well, then what, said the fisherman. Well, we're just getting started. With two boats, you can catch even more fish and make even more money. And then you can buy a whole fleet of boats. And everybody in this village will come and, and they'll work for you. Okay, he said. Then what? He said, well, before too long, you, you'll have your own crannery. And before you know it, you'll be able to leave this small coastal village and move up to Mexico City and manage your expanding commercial fishing enterprise. Well, what then? The man asked. Well, then you could move to Los Angeles. You could open up a distribution plant. You could ship your fish all over the globe to Asia, Australia, Europe. And after that, you could move to New York where I live, and you can manage your company and list it on the New York Stock Exchange, and you can make millions and millions of dollars. Millions, the fisherman said. Yes, more money than you could ever spend in an entire lifetime. But what would I do then, the fisherman said. And the American was kind of stumped at that point. He thought he'd laid out a pretty good plan. And so he looked at the guy and he said, well... <laughs> Then you could move to a small coastal village and you could sleep late and you could fish in the morning just for fun. Uh, in the afternoons, you could play with your grandchildren and take a siesta with your wife. And in the evenings, you could have dinner with your family. And then you could go stroll into the village and, and drink wine and play guitar with your amigos. See, sometimes finding contentment in life is not about bigger, better, newer, more it's about making a decision to, to look around and be thankful for what we have. It's about being generous and putting our time and our money into the things that satisfy our soul. And it's always a choice. And we make it every day. Amen.